welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 57. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Today we're going to be discussing NextGen's first season episodes, Heart of Glory, The Arsenal of Freedom, Symbiosis, and Skin of Evil. Here we go. Heart of Glory, Season 1, Episode 19, Production Number 120, Original Air Date, March 21st, 1988, Directed by Rob Bowman, Story by Maurice Hurley, Herbert Wright, and D.C. Fontana, Teleplay by Maurice Hurley, Music Composed by Ron Jones, Guest Cast include Vaughn Armstrong as Chorus, Charles Hyman as Conmel, David Frome as Canera, Robert Bauer as Cunevis, Brad Zerbst as Nurse, and Dennis Madalone as Ramos. The Enterprise responds to a report of combat in the neutral zone, but preparing for the worst, the crew only find a battered transport ship on the verge of explosion. Riker, Data, and a souped-out LaForge beam to the transport to find three Klingons to be the only survivors. After narrowly beaming out, Picard asks Lieutenant Worf to take care of their surviving guests. Even now, do you know why you are driven? Why you cannot... Relent or repent or confess or abstain. How could you know? There have been no other Klingons to lead you to that knowledge. Yes, those feelings are still a part of me. Excellent. Now, this episode was, uh, I mean, I remember liking it, but it, it's actually, it holds up pretty decently. And it's, and it's you know, it's, it's interesting to me that... Um, in so many ways, in so many ways, it's such a prototypical of uh, uh, storyline, right, for the future of the Worf <laughs> storyline mm-hmm. that we're going to get through Next Gen and DS9. Um, Worf is going to be asked to kind of make this decision so many times, and and here, for the most part, here it all was in this in this episode right here, Next Gen season one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Roddenberry famously didn't want. Um, he wanted to have new, new baddies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for next gen, he didn't want to have the same like you know Klingons and uh, Romulans. And of course, we're going to get to them anyway. Part of that though is because the Ferengi didn't quite pan out like they hoped. Um, <clears throat> but the cool thing here to me is because you've got Worf on the ship right now. Uh, when we do have a Klingon episode, and this is really the first one in next gen. It's different. This is very, very, very different to me than the Klingons episodes from uh, the original series. So, you know, and great. Fine, we have to, we're going to reuse these same baddies, but uh, they're using them in such a different way that it's, it's completely valid and, and makes for a very entertaining and, and uh, unique episode, despite the fact that these species, this species is, uh, you know, 20 years old from that point of view. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and uh, it's it's all yeah, it's all about because Worf's on there. Anytime any dealings with the Klingons from this point on, essentially, it's kind of look to Worf. You know, it's like okay, how how are you being affected by this? And it's that conflict. We like you said, we see the beginning of this conflict that will be you know we'll see for the next uh, you know twelve, thirteen years or whatever it ends up being, fifteen years. Um, and also, I think it's cool too that they're they're once again kind of leading up to the end of this season, which is not a cliffhanger, but you know, talking about this neutral zone, talking about the Romulans and all this mm-hmm. stuff too that we're going to see in that coming too. So it's kind of connecting some things together. Um, yeah, this episode really takes off right from the bat. It's um, the opening scene is really really good. I mean, it's quick, it's fast paced. Which um, scene? You're talking about when they're on the ship rescuing the Klingons? Yeah. No, the opening scene. 
the opening scene before the credits. You know, uh, the te- remind me what happens during the teaser. The teaser, well, they're responding to the call to right, the neutral okay. zone, and it's back and forth. Yes, okay. They're Romulans. It's fast paced. Um, you know, it feels, yeah, it's 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 kind of you feel excited in a way. Um, <laughs> my only complaint, and I'm assuming you guys will probably agree with me, but you never know, uh, is when they come out of the credits. And they go into this whole thing about LaForge's... Um, Jordy Vision! Jordy <laughs> Vision, yeah. They spend a good five minutes on it, and it's just kind of... Yeah, it, 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 it feels definitely, uh, it has that first season over-explanation thing going on. It, it's really it's really tedious, but, you know, that's... I st- it's, it's a good... This is a, g- a good episode to me. Um, oh, I agree. Um, but, yeah, I completely agree that it's... It just stops the episode. Geordie Vision stops the episode. Do you Not got- only because Geordie Vision is silly, yeah, <laughs> uh, but also because they spend so much darn time explaining it. And also, correct me if I'm wrong, but do we even see Geordie Vision? Like, is it? It's never the same, right? Like, I remember in Generations, uh, uh, Soren like taps into his thing, right? And but it looks totally. It looks like just somebody yeah, walking yeah. around engineering with a video yeah, camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the yeah. way they should have done it, really. Or, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or just left well, down. and it's not just that they do that. It's that, and then Picard is so amazed. We got this ship that's about to to, <laughs> blow, up. <laughs> to blow up, and Picard's just you know overly yeah, they, amazed. They had to write it in where Riker goes, "Um, excuse me, guys." Yeah. <laughs> right. He's like he's like speaking for the rest of us. It's like, okay, really, let's get on with the. <laughs> but oh, no. you guys remember when I believe I'm correct on this because I watched it faithfully back in the day. And uh, Entertainment Tonight did you know they would frequently talk about an episode if something significant is going to happen because the new Star Trek it was a big deal. And they brought this up. I remember leading up to this episode, it's like the next time you know we're going to see what Jordy sees, and that was the thing. And they did a little <laughs> little deal on it on one of their shows, if memory serves. I do remember them frequently talking about upcoming episodes or something. I do remember watching those. I don't remember that one particular event, uh, exact instance you're talking about, but I do remember them doing that. My earliest memories of Next Gen were all Entertainment Tonight stuff. Like the first time I saw The Communicator from before the yeah. show premiered, I remember that very clearly. Um, so it's, it's kind of funny, and it'll be interesting when we get into the second season when um, when – Patrick Stewart or Picard, where he tails off from these kind of long little rants because this isn't the, this isn't the first time we've kind of heard him go off on on something like this in the season. And it, to me, it seems like later on he doesn't. I think he still does that, but it's in a more calm and mm-hmm. so almost this way in the first season it feels forced. And I'm I'm curious when we kind of see that transition where where he goes off on one of these little speeches and it doesn't seem silly and hokey. <laughs> there were several little funny things like like first season he funny things to me like um what's that when they're on that ship at the beginning i think data says to um riker and Jordy, the safest way is for me to proceed alone and they're like agreed yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. go right ahead <laughs> no, 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 no. just made me like laugh you know and then uh Jordy has another one of his I know, Steve, you love these. Jordy has another one of his little oh my. boisterous outbursts when the uh, Klingon cruiser shows up. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're mentioning these things, but I think this is a good episode. This is not, you know, um, even in a later season, this story, maybe, maybe you know, it has some of these little quirky season one script things. Yeah. But the story would have been solid even in a laser season. It's a, it's a good story, I think, is oh, yeah. why, it, why, it, why it holds up. And, and of course, why they're going to uh, retread it many times. But that, that, that has like a negative connotation. I don't mean that with such a negative connotation. Um, 
I think well, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's war's first episode and we get, you know, and obviously we get, but that's, there's another thing that we should, we should mention is, uh, what a great job Michael Dorn does because, um, <clears throat> we've, we've had basically, I can only think of really one kind of scene. We mentioned it before in coming of age, uh, the scene between Worf and, um, Wesley, mm-hmm. that's kind of a real Worf scene there. He has a real conversation with somebody. Um, and that was really it. And, from that one thing, he goes to having his own episode. And in fact, it's all the more impressive uh, given most of season one really aren't like this is a Worf episode. Most of season one aren't character episodes, you know? Yeah. Sure. You, like Where No Man Has Gone Before, that is not anybody's episode. Um, so it, that he even gets it in this episode, and, and Worf wasn't even supposed to be in every ep- uh, such. He was only signed, I think Dorn was only going to be in like maybe half a dozen episodes or something, mm-hmm. but they liked him enough they kept bringing him back more than planned. It's going to be a so, Colin Meadley. Yeah. Um, so it, it was um, it, really impressive that this episode uh, turned out as it did. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm in the teaser, you know, they, I think Riker mentions that, um, this, this technical thing I want to mention is that, you know, he mentioned, oh, do you want to go to split the ship and go into saucer sex? And, and you know looking back I'm kind of glad that they didn't <clears throat> overplay the saucer section stuff I mean we see him I mean and we're going to talk about it there's going to be another episode coming up where they do split up but after that I was trying to think they don't how often do you yeah, see the they, um, they they split it up they, and I'm kind of glad they didn't overplay it or jump the shark on I'm it reason, I'm reasonably certain they split the ship up more times in the first season than they did in the rest of the seasons combined because of, yeah it's just what I a, think a fun was, toy or whatever yeah yeah it's just I, what well we'll talk more about that in the, that other episode today but it just takes too much yeah. bloody uh, story time yeah and that's very precious in a 46 minute show mm-hmm. um, anyway. but I, I, did, I just realized because they mentioned it and then they yeah, they, yeah. it's like no we're not gonna we're gonna get more information I'm like oh, well I'm glad they didn't didn't do it, you know, because it well it, he it overplayed. How did the Klingons even know? Like, uh, oh, what's Armstrong's Kling? What's the main Klingon character's name? I can't remember. Uh, Chorus. Chorus. Like, how did Chorus know that the ship could be separated like that? And because he's demanding that he get the battle bridge, basically. Yeah, unless they were just you know intelligence briefings or something. I, mean, I don't yeah. know. I just kind of assumed you know Warp's giving him a tour, and he probably told him at some point. Yeah, they. Let me Maybe share with you all our tactical capabilities. Yeah. <laughs> we have this many torpedoes. Tw- tw- <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't tell you that either. <laughs> well, uh, so this episode is going to do a, f- a fair amount uh, for Klingons on on next gen. Uh, I really like the scene with um, Worf and the two Klingons, um, where they're talking about. Um, you know, where, where they're spelling out those those things about Worf that we now just totally take for granted. That stuff was created here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, talking about how he grew up without Klingons in his life. How, in fact, the whole thing, the Battle of, uh, was it Kittimer? Kittimer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was that, is that this episode the first time they mentioned any of that? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so all of that stuff, you know, his, uh, you know, ending up with his foster family, which we're going to, all of that stuff was just created a whole cloth in this episode and it's something that we just totally take for granted about the character but here it is um, <clears throat> um yeah in this first scene you get really nice backstories with Worf and Data um, you get a little bit of Troy you don't get too much of Riker 
or Picard, I don't think. Well, you get a little bit of Picard, but I think you get the best backstory ones for, for, for Data, Data Lore, and Worf in this one, mm-hmm. in this first season. Well, I think Worf is, you know, it's. I'm sure we've mentioned this before because of DS9, but, you know, Worf, that, that kind of character, that kind of character where you have a inherently built into the character is conflict between two cultures and, and on, on having to you know, figure that out and stand on the, stand on the fence all the time and, and decide where you're going to stand, whatever. And so it's like, it's like Spock in the original series. I mean, that, those kind of characters, you know, where they're they mixed loyalties or whatever, torn characters. Well, of course, um, you know, it helps. I think Armstrong is, is really good as a, what's a chorus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they, and they, they play off each other very well too. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that that final kind of scene between them um, uh, at the warp core. It's kind of oh, cool yeah. that it's shot up there on that second level. I don't know if we've spent any real time there the rest of the mm-hmm. season, really. So that's that's neat too. Um, uh, you know, I I I really like the the element of uh, what chorus and his buddies. You know that they're that they have this desire to just. Um, be real Klingons again, and then you know um, that you know that, that that this bloodlust is built into them, and they're they're sick of uh, the peace. But you know, the, but just talking about we've lost touch with the, the culture, the unique culture that defined Klingons. We've lost touch with it, and we're just going to go out there and, and be wild and find it again, you know, <clears throat> because it's what drives us. I I actually would have liked a little bit more discussion about that. I think it's it they, they kind of go over it a little quickly. Maybe if we'd spent. Two minutes on Geordie Vision instead of five, which is <laughs> but you know that's, that's a minor that's a minor comment. I'm I'm saying I like something. I just would have I wanted more of it. So that's maybe maybe it's a compliment more than a critique. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the you know, well uh, I am. This might be kind of getting into what it's about at least for me. Um, yeah, let's do it. Um, well, I mean, you know that conversation and 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 Worf kind of had the had a few lines there, and it kind of that's kind of what the episode encapsulated for me. He's like he's Worf was saying it's not about the the outward battles, the battles you find, it's the, the battles that you fight inside of you, you know, the conflicts that you resolve, and that's where the challenge of a warrior is on the inside. And I kind of felt, you know, that's that that, that, that kind of encapsulates Worf in, in the new Klingon warrior, which he basically is. He's going to be the new image of Klingons for us, probably from here till they, till they stop making Star Treks ever. But in, and so that kind of, that was something different than what we see have seen from Klingons up until that point. So that's well, in a way, we're right. seeing that same um, conflict. You know, like uh, the the Klingon cruiser that shows up. You know, uh, the captain of that vessel. He's got like behind him. You can see the uh, Klingon and Federation. You know, the, the, that truce uh, is still there. Um, and, and this kind of balance between, you know, this this peaceful warrior, <laughs> that uh, that's exactly what what we're talking about. That that Worf is always going to be going through. They don't spend too much time on it with Worf the character. He has those couple of lines, um, but just as as small beginnings, it's it's they've got so much room to play with, and and they do a nice job of just creating it. As I've said, well, Steve, what do you think it's about? 
Yeah, I, I essentially agree with that point. I mean, we're going to see so many other episodes where we, we can't, like, going forward, it's not like we can say every time Worf's featured, oh, it's about, you know, divided loyalties and that war within yourself and all these kind of things. And But since this establishes that, essentially, for him, I, I think it is about that. It's about... Um, you know, finding that balance between it's, it's a little bit about nature versus nurture. It's about um, making choices and loyalties, and and we all, in some way, shape, or form, are uh, are divided people. We have different things, different priorities, different things that we have to uh, consider, and um, we have to find that balance. And it's that's and for for Worf, that's a constant struggle. Hmm. Well said. <clears throat> I think this was also the last thing I want to say is. I believe this was also the last time we, or the first time, excuse me, that we saw that Klingon death scream, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So this episode, even on top of everything else, it even establishes some things in, in within the Klingon culture, which, of course, at this point, I'm sure was more established than probably any other you know, non-humanoid race. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're still bringing uh, more to it. Um, so... Yeah, just a, a good, solid episode. Just, uh, you know, fast forward through Geordie Vision. <laughs> <laughs> so. Six degrees for Heart of Glory. Adam. Yes. Von, Arm- Von Armstrong plays um, Chorus, the Klingon warrior that threatens to destroy the Warp Corps if Picard doesn't give in to his demands. Armstrong has played many roles on Check, and we've asked about him before, but here are a couple of new questions. So, Adam, he is best known sans makeup for playing Admiral Maxwell Forrest throughout all four seasons of Enterprise. But in Enterprise's fourth season, in the Mirror Universe episode, In a Mirror Darkly, he played Maximilian Forrest. Which member of Enterprise's crew did he take as his mistress? This same woman kind of wound up uh, running things. Mm, the hell is her name? Oh my god, I can't remember her name. I'll take first so, or last. Can't even remember. <laughs> Have at it, Steve. It's been that long since I've watched Enterprise. Uh, was it? Was it Hoshi? You are correct. Yeah. Steve Armstrong also played Korath, the Klingon, in the ride at the short-lived Star Trek: The Experience. Name uh, the name given to this ride after the second ride, Borg Invasion 4D, was added. So he played Korath in the main ride at the Experience. It didn't have a name, but then when they added the Borg Invasion 4D, they gave this ride a name. What was the name of the ride where he played the villain? Mm. I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of guess because it's not just coming to me right off. Is it uh, Klingon Encounter? You are correct. It was the Klingon Encounter. Very good. Moving on. The Arsenal of Freedom, Season 1, Episode 20, Production Number 121, Original Air Date, April 11, 1988, Directed by Les Landau, Story by Maurice Hurley and Robert Lewin, Teleplay by Richard Manning and Hans Beimler, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Vincent Schiavelli as Minoan Peddler, Marco Rodriguez as Paul Rice, Vito Ruginas as Logan, Julia Nixon as Leon Tassou, and George De La Pena as Orpheus Solis. While investigating the disappearance of the USS Drake, the crew battles aggressive energy spheres, swallowing sinkholes and invisible attackers, left over from a long-ago extinct race known as the Minos. 
The Minos people were renowned arms makers and dealers during the Yerslopo Wars. Here on Minos, where we live by the motto, peace through superior firepower. To whom am I speaking? To be totally armed is to be totally secure. Remember, the early bird that hesitates gets wormed. It is a recorded message, sir. Minos, the arsenal of freedom. This may be the only time that after watching an episode of Star Trek, I can look back at my notes and see that I wrote, Crusher and Picard fall in a hole. Riker exits his container. (laughs) 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 Um, Steve, why don't you start us off on this one? Um... Well, I mean, Adam, why don't you? <laughs> I think we get a we get a few fun facts and trivia kind of things out of this. Although I don't think it's a very good episode. Um, we learn that Riker's already given up a command. Uh, that's in this very interesting. Episode. Yeah, um, right. I'd kind of forgotten that this has already happened. You know, I remember that during the during the series there were several instances where he gave up commands. Um, I also uh, found it. I remembered. I don't know if. I'm probably going to say this, and it's probably your trivia question or something. Hopefully not. But um, this is where they took the Riker video footage out of for all good things. Like, because obviously they couldn't use him. He doesn't have a beard anymore. But there's a, po- a point in all good things in the past where he talks to Riker, and he says "understood" on the video monitor. And I remember this is this is from this episode. Um, also, we have a fun "Who's that guy?" moment. You know, when Data's throwing the way team out of the line <laughs> of fire, and it's like, "Whoa, who's that guy?" You know, and they throw tosses him away. You know. Made all the worse in HD, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But on the whole, I think this is kind of like a basically a typical fish out of water story. You know, let's let's put people in circumstances that don't seem to really fit and go for it. You know. Call this like the the first disaster episode where they're all in peril at once. I mean, you know, on the planet, you know, in in the ship. Um, I I didn't dislike this. I mean, I was entertained. It's it's got a pretty good pace. Um, it's got action to it. Um, there's things being blown up. I mean, for you know an, an action person, you know you should like this episode. But as far as like um, when we get into what it's about, um, that might be a little difficult. And I know that's what our show's about. But I enjoyed it. It's funny because I this is one of the very few. I, I mean, in fact, I'm trying to remember others, but I can't at the moment. But it's one of the very few episodes of Next Gen that I remembered. I'm sorry, I remembered hating it. I mean, I remembered really <laughs> this episode. It was weird. Um, so I was almost like I kept putting off even watching it because I'm like, I just I haven't watched that episode in a long time, and I hated it. Maybe it was just watching it in HD. Maybe it was having such low expectations. But I didn't hate it nearly as much as I remembered hating it. I still I do not think it's a good episode. Um, I, Adam, you, you, that's a good point. You know, this is one of those first times where you have these kind of like a bunch of different things all going on at once. Um, I, I think even in that, it, it kind of fails, but it is one of the first times they kind of try that, having all these different um, disaster things all at once. And, you know, that's, and that's kind of interesting. I mean, um, uh, having Picard uh, take care of Crusher, the doctor, that's an interesting, you know, role reversal, fish out of water, whatever. Um, I I think they missed some opera. You know, originally as written, this this script was um, this is uh, Maurice. What's his name, right? Uh, yes, mm-hmm. Maurice, Maurice Hurley. Hurley, right? You know, originally as written, there was they were going to have the whole they were going to touch on this love story between Picard and Crusher, um, <clears throat> and it was Picard who was injured. Mm. 
I like that they actually flipped it and made it Crusher who was injured. Um, but you know, they took all the love story stuff out of it just pretty much completely. And I feel like it, it feels like a missed opportunity in that sense. Um, this is the changes to this episode, uh, that were made without, you know, against his desires were one of the reasons that Maurice Hurley is going to leave the show before too long. You know, one of the many, uh, writer's room, Cash, well, the show's going to see. Well, Brian, since since we don't, none of us really like this episode too much. Maybe you can speak to this. Did they know if Gates was going to be coming back by this time or not? Or I don't think they had decided to fire her yet. That's my my impression was that it was a, it was later, you know, um, but um, I'm not certain about I'm, that. Uh, I want to, the, the reason I asked, I wonder if that was for the changing of it, just that, you know, they were going to go. You know, I really pressures. doubt that because if you think about when this episode would have been written versus by the end of the season, which, I mean, they fired her like a day or two after the last, okay. you know, after, after the season wrapped. So that would have been so many months in advance that I, I really don't think that they would have been thinking that in, that, in those terms. Um, but... I did enjoy watching it more than I remembered ever. I still don't think it's a good episode. Uh, but more interesting question probably is why? Um, well, for me, it's it's kind of, there's. Um, I mean, we've already said it. Like Adam, you mentioned it. Like, what is it about? Well, I don't know. I challenge you to figure it, yeah. come up with anything. But and and furthermore, I think there's a number of cliche things in there. I mean, we see you know Jordy's given command again, and we have kind of just exactly you know where everything's going. I mean, the whole let's give him encouragement, and then let's have someone try to usurp the command, and let's have you know yeah. Jordy's t- told by Troy to give. I mean, it's just that you know it's the stuff you know. It's just so. Oh Whatever. my God! Do I hate that scene with Troy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In an emergency situation, all hell's breaking loose. We're separating. Oh my God! Save us! Save us! Do you have a minute for us to talk about <laughs> your feelings into psychoanalyze? <laughs> Holy God! I hate every moment of that scene. I loathe that scene. It's it's just ugh. yeah. It was just kind of weird. It just kind of I mean, you know, you have this machine bent on destroying you, and it just kind of you know it'll shoot you a couple times, and then it just doesn't do it. I didn't quite figure out the. They had a, like a lot of a lot of time between attacks. It's not even just that Troy comes in there and says that. It's that the majority is like kicking back and saying, "Yeah, that's you're right. Hmm, this is interesting. This is a good idea. I should do this." I'm like, oh my god, Jordy <laughs> uh, vision. I think yeah. I think this is the last time we see Jordy uh, in commander. Well, I, I on a positive note, maybe it's that they decided. Well, you know, we can give him engineering. Let's just get all those other guys out of there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, and and yeah, that that every every time we see those scenes with the chief engineer, it's like uh, you know disputing uh, Jordy is running things. It's 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 it feels like I don't know. We saw that same that same exchange fifty bloody times in the original series. Yes, and we're going to oh. see it more and more in this show, as you mentioned. So yeah. you, you know, so, it's, hey, it's, Brian, when are you going to throw out the question? I don't know. Probably, what, how many engineers were there in the first season? <laughs> I think there were either three or four. Well, one of them we were, saw a couple times. The the guy with the beard we saw two two episodes. Yeah, the the, the Scotty. Yeah, he was a, yeah. he was an ABBA, right? That guy. 
Yeah. Well, while you're talking about original series, and again, whenever we say this, we're not knocking the original series. It's a, it's a the original series was incredible from 1966 yes. to 1969. <laughs> yes, but but not there's other things in common too. I mean, essentially, they talk the computer to death. You know, which we saw you know in this yeah. original series several times. The easy answer, and the, the it has a particularly cheesy wrapped up ending. You know, the whole the whole thing wraps, and it's kind of a ha ha ha. I mean, they might as well all laugh together on the bridge. You know, it's <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. High fives around. Mm. Um, well, let's go back. I really enjoyed watching the um, um, data throwing people around, especially Tasha. <laughs> he all up and threw Tasha. What's great about that is he threw Tasha, right? And then Riker came right up there, right where Tasha was standing and was just standing there. I'm like, well, wouldn't he get shot? Well, many throws are so hard, too, man. Break their necks. That's going to help. You talk about logic things. Uh, When Picard makes that purchase to to shut down the the demo, right? Why doesn't that get rid of the probe that's attacking the Enterprise? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense at all. No, it should take care of that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Except they just want Geordi to shine or whatever. I mean, that's why, but yeah, it doesn't make any logical sense. Did you guys see um, Picard when he was running in the forest, Patrick Stewart? Um, you know, so he just basically has the phaser over his shoulder shooting back. It was hilarious. <laughs> He's a man of action now. Yes. Yeah, that's more. another question I have about this episode. Why is Picard beam down? Like, oh, oh yes. uh, Riker's stuck in some kind of container thing. All I right, wrote, let me beam down then. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote that. I wrote that here to my notes. Say, so why did he go down there? I mean, yeah, because it seems like this seems like a really dangerous situation. I better I'm gonna go down there, you know. Especially with my first officer already down there. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, it doesn't make any um, bloody Jordan sense Vision. at all. Jordan yeah, well, that, that would you know maybe that would have helped this episode if we'd had some uh, <laughs> little. Yeah, and then we could have avoided all the nonsense up there in the Troy and Jordy conversation. Picard just stays there. Jordy goes down, and utilizes Jordy Vision, maybe wraps it up quicker. There you go. Yeah, I had to say the the the, uh, the scene with um that you I think you mentioned is the one where they took the shot from where he's talking to. Uh, Rice, where Riker's talking mm-hmm. to Rice, and he says, no, I'm on the, the, sh- the lollipop. It's just been commissioned. It's a good ship. That did make me laugh again. <laughs> Remember that joke? Yeah, yeah. It still makes me laugh. Because he says it's so, it's so straight. And it's completely straight, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. How would you feel if you were Riker and Yar, and um, your, best, your best man jumps down the hole and leaves you with the even more powerful robot that's coming? Okay, there's <laughs> another question. Why wouldn't they all just jump down there? And Data could have caught them. If, yeah, I was thinking the same the probe thing. thing. Couldn't attack them down there. Yeah, <laughs> catch him. Twelve yeah. meters, he could catch you. Yep, he could time it exactly right to be a cushion. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, wouldn't you rather jump down there than face that thing? I'm like, well, the yep. captain survived. I mean, okay, fine. I'm jumping down. <laughs> You know, when they, fell, when they fell down that hole, it reminded me of, because, I mean, because the whole episode was so cheesy, what I felt like was, is like, Beverly's falling into a swimming pool and actually, actually pulling Picard in, you know, it felt like kind of like a, a beach. Oh, yeah. beach oh. So I'm like, oh, oh, I got you. Ha, ha, ha. you know, <laughs> and, and and folks, look, all these little things, the, these these kind of complaints, these are probably you know logic issues. These are probably true in episodes that are good that we like, but we don't complain about them. We don't even think about them. We don't even notice them when it's a good episode. Who cares? Well, they're just kind of fun because you know this episode doesn't really have a, a strong plot. So you just just look for the fun stuff, you know. It's got goofy things in it, and you know, I, if anything, maybe then we can mention what maybe if we come up with something for what it's about. You know, I think there's the ideas in this story maybe started off with again a, a, a story trope in Trek that we've seen a lot of, especially in the original series. Uh, as far with this idea of um, 
uh, almost like like the Doomsday uh, Machine, right? So they, mm-hmm. they 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 created this weapon and it ultimately destroyed them. <clears throat> and there, there's something kind of interesting in there, but that just so quickly goes by the wayside, and we get an entire episode that really isn't about our characters. And I think ultimately, that's why it's not very good. They're trying, they're doing all these things at once, and they're just a bunch of spinning plates. There's no there's no depth to them at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, for I, example, I, the scene between Crusher and Picard, if they'd taken some some real time, I think Crusher has like a line about her grandmother or something. And yeah, that that's the that's the beginning, the middle, and the end of character development in that scene. Well, we'll be happy about it because in what season six or seven you get a whole episode. Oh, don't I don't like that episode. So <laughs> 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 I hate it. But anyway, uh, so, so yeah, yeah, it's it's not good because it's not about our characters. It's about you know, it's about nothing. I don't know. What do you well, guys have anything for what well, it's about? You kind of touched on. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if I was thinking about anything that it could be about, you know, like I said, it's kind of a disaster episode where you got a bunch of things going on. So they tried this out, and they obviously definitely do get better at this sort of type of structure episode where you have many different things going on at once. Um, and they get better at it down the road. So, I mean, call this one like a, a preseason game, a preseason episode. They kind of had to work out the kinks. <laughs> Well, yeah, and we you kind of mentioned that there maybe they're trying for it to be about one of the one of those kind of stories that we've already seen and we'll see again with those. Um, oh, society destroys itself when they pro- have you know the proliferation of weapons or something of that effect. Maybe, but yeah, they touch on it so little that it can't be what it's about, and so it just yeah just falls flat the whole thing. It was interesting to me. That uh, the salesman guy, whenever he talks about the product, continues to upgrade and improve, and and like he's using these word every every like uh, synonym here, and then I think uh, uh, Yar says a, a line with some other, and every single time it's a different word. They never use the word adapted, like when the probe, mm-hmm. oh, we we fired on it differently this time, but then the next time we tried that same maneuver and it didn't work. They never say it's adapted. I kept expecting that, you know, cause yeah, yeah, because of the Borg. I just uh-huh. kept hearing it, and nobody ever uses that word. <laughs> uh, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so, um, I, I, yeah, let's let's uh, let's uh, let's move on. The guy that played the the engineer, the the that that keeps messing with Jordy, mm-hmm. he had a tiny role in um, Cliffhanger, and I love that movie. There, I said right. something positive about this. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Six degrees for Arsenal of Freedom. I believe our score is one. Steve has one. Is that correct? I think so. Two. No, you have two. Did I get the rebound as well? Yeah, you got the rebound. Yeah, you're right. Oh, okay. Steve. Oh, she's right. Steve has two. Okay. Uh, so, Steve, you're in the lead. You want to go first or second? I'm well, first. Marco Rodriguez plays the holographic version of Captain Paul Rice, Riker's buddy from the Academy that finds Riker's answers perplexing. In Next Gen's Fourth season in the episode "The Wounded," he plays the Cardassian Glintel, part of the Temporary Alliance. Picard forms with the Cardassians to stop the Rogue Federation captain Benjamin Maxwell. Which member of the Enterprise's crew eventually talks Maxwell down? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I remember this one. Is it uh, Miles O'Brien? You are correct. Adam, Julia Nixon plays Ensign Lane Sue the ops officer that helps Geordi take out the weapons probe in orbit. In DS9's second season, she plays Cassandra in the episode Paradise. Which DS9 crew member does she attempt to seduce in an attempt to bring him into the fold? 
DS9 um season 2? Yes sir. Yes sir. Um, damn. I do not know. Cisco. You are correct. It was Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, go with the lead. That's right. Moving on. Symbiosis, Season 1, Episode 21, Production Number 123. Original air date, April 18th, 1988. Story by Robert Lewin. Teleplay by Robert Lewin, Richard Manning, and Hans Beimler. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Judson Scott as Sobe, Merritt Buttrick as Tajon, Richard Lineback as Romus, and Kimberly Farr as Langor. <laughs> While studying a magnetic changes in the Delios system's sun, the Enterprise receives a distress signal from a disabled freighter ship. The crew is only able to save four of the six passengers and cargo of an unknown nature. Two of the guests are from a technically advanced or from the technically advanced planet of Ornara, and the other two are from its neighboring planet of Brecca. It is not my decision. We need some now. Now. I don't care if it's your decision. Get us some. Captain, what is happening to us is happening to thousands more on Anora. Please understand the magnitude of the problem. Your people don't need it. The Breckians don't need it. Our people do. If you don't give it to us, you will be a party to murder, not only of us, but of an entire civilization. Just say no. Yeah, you know, the previous episode, it was like, I didn't care for the episode. I didn't think it was very good. And then there was one scene that I really detested and that was that scene between detested no you know what let's be honest yeah i did i did <laughs> it was the scene i already mentioned between between troy and 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 um jordy in this episode i actually think this episode is kind of decent it's got some some interesting stuff in there i think it basically works and it kind of holds up except for the scene between yar and, and wesley <laughs> which is so incredibly terrible <laughs> and so nauseating um, that it actually takes the rest of the episode down somehow. <laughs> it's like it, think, it, yeah. it, it makes everything else feel like it's on the nose, even though it isn't. As oh my god! Well, I think it's I think Jordy Vision. I think uh, I think Na- <laughs> I think Nancy Reagan should have done a walk on and just had a conversation with Wesley. Yeah. Uh, do, do our younger listeners know what we're talking about here? You know, oh um, yeah, we're old. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> in the '80s, uh, Nancy Reagan started the "Just So Just Say No to Drugs" um, program. You know, each each first lady kind of has her own thing. Michelle Obama's is "Get Rid of the Fat Kids." Wait, that's not exactly, <laughs> that's not exactly it. Just but, say you know. no to a cupcake or whatever. Right. <laughs> okay. uh, well, so Nancy Reagan, um, yes, Michelle Obama is um, you know uh, eat healthy and stuff like that. So uh, Nancy Reagan. <laughs> Just say no to drugs, and yeah, this it that, really did, that scene between Yar what Yar says to Wesley. It really, it literally did sound like one of those commercial PSAs we saw on tel- no. Yeah, the, yeah. Ah. So that scene is is so, <clears throat> and, and it's terrible because it's just so um, preachy, and it's just it's just so you know, it's it, fine. It's what the episode's about, but you can't just. Look into the camera and wink and say it. <laughs> that would have been better if it had winked. <laughs> yeah. So if we could just, if we cut that that scene out, I would think this is an okay episode. Um, 
<clears throat> there's a lot of fun Star Trek-y stuff in there, of course. We get this the Star Trek II reunion, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know, between um, Judson Scott and uh, Merrick uh, Butrick, uh, which is fun. Um, and I and honestly, that's the main thing I always remembered about this episode. Yeah. Too. Of course, tragically, um, Butrick uh, dies of AIDS maybe about a year after this episode. And this this is five years after they both did Star Trek Two, and then they're just they did oh, three, right? A little over five years. Yeah, no, of course, right. He was also in Star Trek Three as uh, Kirk's son, and then um, this episode was spring of '88, and about a year later. He dies, <clears throat> which you know is another '80s thing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, people are still trying to figure out, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> oh, I think Riker says "awesome" in this, right? Which struck me kind of funny. Didn't when he does he say that? I believe very early in the episode, he said something was awesome. He didn't say it like, you know, oh, that's awesome, but he said sure. like kind of awesome, like you know, using the word like that's a it's full of awe, you know. But he did did say it. Oh, was I was he talking about the star, probably? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's an '80s thing. That was we're seeing the theme here. There's a lot of '80s. Yeah. yeah. Well, he he didn't bust out. It's totally awesome. Well, yeah, that'd been cool. <laughs> he said, totally. <laughs> um, is this a good episode, guys? Ignoring the scene that we all agree is is preachy and obnoxious. Which, by the way, saying it's preachy and obnoxious doesn't mean I'm condoning drug, condoning drug use. It's a bad scene. All right. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, what? How is this episode any good? Um, I mean, you you talk about that scene and it's an extreme. It's probably, but the I like the episode, but yeah, the episode it has a lot to do with um, values and it, it gets a little bit preachy about the prime directive with Picard explaining it to um, Beverly. And I thought that was a good scene and it kind of helps explain the, the prime. Lift? The what? The scene on the turbo lift. You're right, right. Um, but I mean, yeah, the whole episode is kind of this deep cultural thing like you know how do you treat each other and it, it gets a little bit preachy at times and especially i mean if you take away the r thing and maybe it wouldn't yeah. have been as bad yeah if it weren't for that one scene we talk we've been talking about like the original series and here's an episode where a lot of it i feel like it has the good influences from the original series you know clearly they're trying to make an episode about something that's great um and again that one scene takes away from it but uh it's also about something that's a lot that's this contemporary. All you know, the, the best Star Trek is is commenting on um, universal themes, things that are always going to be uh, interesting questions, but they're going to do it from the, through the lens of, of contemporary issues when they're when they're made well. Uh, so here is something that the original series didn't really touch on, um, but uh, next gen. Um, tries it and they try something and it felt kind of new um, and I and for the most part I felt like it held up and I was watching the episode and thinking this is better than I remembered it this is better than I remembered I'm, I'm actually I think this is maybe a good episode and then you know we had the scene the, and um, so- you know you were making fun of the, the whole Yar scene with Nancy Reagan and everything like that but you know, we were all in the 80s you know how kind of like Terror. I mean, you know, there's always going to, like you said, there's always going to kind of be a drug problem, and there's just probably just as bad of a drug problem today as there was back then. But it just seemed like it destroyed more lives and communities back then, you know. And that was a, a it was kind of a prominent issue during the 80s, and I can see that why they want to kind of take take a look at this and see how in an episode because it was relevant for that particular time. 
in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's I think the episode is preachy, but I don't think it's bad. I mean, I think that it it's more or less a, a decent a decent episode. I don't think it's as good as the first one we discussed, as far as all the ones we're talking about today. But it it is trying to say something, and it doesn't totally fall flat with that, and it just steps over line with with how on the nose they make the message. But and I also think that it's a good it's a good prime directive episode. If you were to dig out episodes that were you know dealing with the prime directive in some way, shape, or <coughs> trying to illustrate it, I think this is a good episode episode for it. I mean, in part, Picard comes up with a solution that um, is, you know, using it and sticking to it, but still getting the job done. You know, it's... Yeah, I I like the Prime Directive stuff in this episode. You know, we've had some earlier episodes this season that maybe I I didn't care for the way they dealt with it, but this is is a perfect example. Um, You know, and and it also, it's a perfect example because it works as a story point too, because it makes it more dramatic. Mm -hmm. Because I'm right there with Crusher, you know, I'm like, God dang it, I want to tell these other guys so they can get pissed off, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I want them to, I want to make, I want them to, I want to help these people. It would would be so, you know, they deserve to know this. And and it makes it more dramatic, you know? Um, But Picard uh, says, look, it has to work. This it has to work this way. It has to always because anything less has always resulted in you know terrible, terrible things. And that's that's a very like a uh, captain kind of thing. You know, he has to have this experience and this wisdom because probably almost everybody else on the ship, Crusher's a normal person here, would have reacted the way that I was reacting, the way Crusher reacted. You know, and that's the reason that these ultimate decisions have to be with 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 this guy. Um, but then of course they take it one more interesting step and they say. Uh, you know the prime directive applies both ways, huh? You know, uh-huh. so um, you know I, I like the prime directive stuff here. I think I think it really works and it enhances the episode um, both narratively and dramatically. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, and he has that line. Um, you know, believe me, Beverly, there was only one decision. There was only one, um, and that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Where I say uh, uh, he's the captain. He has he has the wisdom. And he has the experience. Um, he has he has faith in uh, these rules from the Federation, um, and, and the other thing I want to mention with with his analysis uh, is this scene. I, I like the way he delivers that line. I like that scene where he says, you know, when they're with the I keep getting the species confused. The ones that are peddling the drugs. Uh, when he says, "There goes the other shoe," they know. Uh, mm-hmm. Brekra, the Brekra, Brekra, whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah <something laughs> like that. Um, so that I mean that was kind of cool too, <clears throat> you know. Um, if I'm trying to pick out things, I, I could. We all kind of are kind of ahead of the episode, like mm-hmm. we're like, well, I've already figured it out. Why is Crusher still wondering? You know, <laughs> um, they certainly look the part of drug addicts, but uh, <laughs> you know that's that's a, that's a minor kind of comment, but. Uh, oh, the the opening kind of made me laugh. You know when he's like. Um, you know, ca- uh, Captain, you don't know how to install a control coil. Well, let me ask, let me ask everybody else here. He kind of comes back a minute later. Sorry, nobody heard anything about it. <laughs> to say no, or we don't know how to do that. But the way the, the actual line, nobody here knows anything about it. <laughs> well, they actually almost have him soundstoned. Yeah, that's that's it too. That 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 is a minor thing that we haven't talked about, but it does bother me a little bit because it's not like. I don't know what what your goal is to who you want to sympathize with, but it takes a little bit of the kind of away from it because they make them so like they're going around stoned all the time that it's kind of ridiculous, you know, a little bit, you know, this they, species. And they came on and they're not that 
they're not. In fact, they have the opposite problem. Yeah, you know, they're going through withdrawal because they haven't had them. Right, med- right, true, true. So that that is, it, it is it is massively disconnected. Um, yeah, well, they make them moronic in the beginning. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So this episode it it has these kind of uneven issues where it seems like did they know what the previous scene was when they shot this scene? I don't think so. Um, but um, well, we've talked about what it's about, but I but you know. I think ultimately it holds up uh, because they are discussing discussing this issue, and it's held back for the reasons we discussed and have all agreed on. You know, the other, other little thing that we never talk about, but it's like I like the title of this episode. I think it's, it's kind of a cool title, and it, and it mm-hmm. um, you know, it's obviously symbiosis, obviously talking about the way these cultures are um, interrelated. But um, you know, we don't mention that very often the titles, but this is one where I thought it was cool and kind of. Um, enhance the episode. Anything else you guys want to discuss on this one? I don't think so. No. So, surprised me that it hold, held up so well, except for the one scene that surprised me how much it didn't hold up. <laughs> I don't remember thinking that scene was so preachy when I was a kid and saw this episode. But See, all you had to say is, like, somebody who would pick out an outfit like that every day <laughs> has to be on drugs. <laughs> 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 Six degrees for symbiosis. Uh, what is our score? Three to one, I think. Three to one. Okay. Uh, Adam, you want to go first or second? Um, I'll go second. Steve, Merrick Butrick plays to John, the Ornaran uh, freighter captain that doesn't know much about his freighter, but knows a lot about getting high. <laughs> of course, he also played David Marcus, Jim Kirk's son in Star Trek Two and Three. In which feature film was his photo shown in Kirk's quarters? Huh. So we're not talking about Star Trek's two or three. Right. Later on. Yeah. Gosh. <clears throat> I don't really recall. Was it six? You are correct. It was Star Trek six. Uh, so that's four to one. Adam Judson Scott plays Sobe, the Breckian that also doesn't know much about freighters, but knows a lot about getting other people high. Of course, he played Joachim in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Which of the following is true? You have three choices. One, according to Greg Cox's novels depicting Khan's history, Joachim Joachim was Khan's biological son. Two, Judson Scott is not credited in Star Trek II. Three, Joachim was killed in orbit of regular one. Which of those three items is true? Two, two are false and one is true. Which one is true? Um, since I did not read the books, I'll just go with A, biological son. No, and because there are only two other choices, I will not uh, give Steve the redirect. Uh, number two is true. Judson Scott is not credited in the movie. Hmm. I remember years ago, I saw him. This is back when I lived in uh, Texas. I, I, it was one of those Plano conventions, I think. I, I'm pretty sure. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I think I saw him in Vegas. Anyway, I was living in Texas at the time, and I saw Justin Scott at a little convention, and um, I asked him about that, the fact that he wasn't uh, credited in Star Trek II, and he said, oh, no, but they fixed that a long time ago. Like, I'm, I'm credited in the DVDs and stuff. And I knew that he wasn't, and I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I didn't say, I couldn't bring myself to say, no, you're not, man. <laughs> he said, oh, great, great. And, yeah, and I double-checked when I got back, and he's, he's still not credited. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, nice guy though. Very, very nice guy. Very, very. Sweet. What about the Blu-ray? Blu-ray. Um, I honestly, I have a feeling he's not even there, but I'll have to check on that. Moving on. 
Skin of Evil, Season 1, Episode 22, Production Number 122. Original air date, April 25th, 1988. Story by Joseph Stefano, teleplay by Joseph Stefano and Hannah Louise Shearer. Music composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Mark McChesney as Armis, Ron Gans as Voice of Armis, Walker Boone as Leland T. Lynch, Brad Zerbst as Nurse, and Raymond Forshian as Ben. While the Enterprise is en route to rendezvous with Tori's shuttlecraft, a bizarre malfunction causes the transport vehicle to crash on Vagrath 2. Picard orders Riker, Dr. Crusha, Data, and Yara to the planet to rescue rescue the, the party. Upon arrival, they discover that a strange entity has surrounded the crash site with a force field, preventing any way from the team to help them. The creature attacked us. Lieutenant Yar is down. It seems to feed on our phaser energy. We had no effect on it. What's Lieutenant Yar's condition? Dr. Crusher, report. She's dead. Yara's dead, folks. She's toast. Huh. She's history. She's she's dead. She's, she's zapped. Dead. Yeah. So we're gonna get to that in just a second. <clears throat> the uh, opening scene. Yar talks with Worf on the bridge about what well, is this? A wrestling competition or something? <laughs> something. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, one thing that made me think about that very first scene is you can't really have a private conversation on the bridge, can you? Right. Like, they're they're right there talking about this, even though the camera's all nice and tight, and we go to a wide shot with the whole bridge. I mean, everybody hears everything they say, right? Yeah. You know? uh, I don't know why. That and then, and then, um, what happens? Yes, Yar Yar is killed. Um, so, uh, Denise Crosby was not happy with what they were doing with her character. She wanted more character. She was felt like all she was doing was um, uh, running around and pointing a phaser or saying, you know, fire or something, whatever. Um, so she asked to be let out of her contract. You know, the way they sign they sign years to be on these shows and of course the studio can can end the contract any you know, anytime they want that's part of their contract, but you can't just leave the show unless the show agrees. So she asked to be let out and they said okay. Um ironically, and I've read this in a couple different places, she has stated if she had more scenes like the scene she had with Worf at the beginning of this episode, maybe she wouldn't have left the show. Um but <clears throat> she has said she had has no regrets. I'm I never quite bought that she has no regrets about leaving this show because it became so clear in subsequent seasons that because let's face it, nobody in this season gets the kind of yeah. real character development she's she leaves for. Everybody else just had to keep stepping up their game. And they would slowly get more and more episodes where they got to act more, uh, witness Michael Dorn uh, in in Heart of Glory that we were just discussing. Um, and they brought something more to the character. And as they did that, the writers saw what else they could do. And then, of course, the show is going to gain more of the mantra after Pillar comes on, Michael Pillar, about making our show about the characters. And that's what it's going to become. And I kind of agree with people who have said, and I've seen a couple of people, I think Keith DeCandido uh, mentioned this, 
a couple times, um, but a lot of people have said this. Um, most of the people on in this show, with the with the exception of probably uh, Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner in season one, most of the other actors they weren't that amazing here in season one. They got way better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, I would say that about Rena uh, as Troy. I would say that about Dorn as Worf. I would say that about Lavar as Jordy. I would say that about even Wesley. Uh, you know, um, Will Wheaton. <clears throat> they're going to get so much better, so much faster, um, and they're going to reap the benefits of that by having um, more challenging roles to play and parts and, and things to do in these as these characters. They're also going to reap those benefits by, you know, by uh, financial wealth because the show is going to just massively take off. Um, so despite the fact that she has stated she doesn't have any regrets, this show went on for seven years, became a cultural phenomenon, did four movies. Yeah. And if she had stuck with it like everybody else did, even when they were probably having the same thoughts that she had, uh, I think she probably would have been a little more satisfied. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. She had an interesting character. You know, we got a little bit of her back backstory. You know, she was an orphan on a basically a, a gang world. And she had to escape from that, and um, that was her, kind of her backstory. We get, we, oddly enough, we get more of that backstory from her sister. I don't know if it's in season two or three. It was weird. I, I was, rem- I always remembered that she was somehow in that episode, but she isn't. You know. Yeah. So I guess um, I, I picture, I picture her running around that world because of the sister episode, even though she's right. not there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they do have one flashback scene with her on that world in this season. So I was, that was popping into my head too. I'm like, oh, don't we? So I, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um. But in a weird way, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, if you think about it, there's this is a big cast, and it's kind of hard to, you know. Obviously, the original series had this problem, um, and but it was probably more driven to the the big three. This one kind of tr- tried to spread it out, but I mean, you know, there's only so much screen time, and I would say that she was given her opportunities. Maybe she just didn't get the most well written scenes. I mean, we talked about that in the you know her little drug speech in the last episode. I mean. Um, you just kind of got to fight through those goofy things. Every single, every single character in this series of the first season has had their, their good moments, and they've had plenty of bad moments too. Because because it's the first season, and they're they're trying to find their way. So well, isn't it part of you sign on to do a show like this? Isn't that part of it? Is 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 taking it on a leap of faith that it's going to take them some time to figure it out? But they're going to figure it out. That it, that it's going to get better. That you can't. That they're not going to hit the ground running especially here where they've got their only frame of reference is a 20 year old show yeah mm-hmm. when i think about when i think of john luke picard i don't think of him from the first season he's kind of he's not he's almost exactly. like a yeah. shadow of what his character is <clears throat> in this first and that's, season that's, and that's, that's natural true for almost everybody yeah. I, I of course do not picture i don't picture uh frakes without the beard mm-hmm. ever every single episode he doesn't have the beard i'm like who is this guy <laughs> you know <laughs> We, the, who these characters become, they're not there yet. Who they're going to become is what we think of them as. Yeah. You know? Um, so, I don't know. I guess I've, I've just always thought it was... I just always thought she was she was premature. And that, it, in a way, she didn't... 
she didn't she hold up her end of the bargain. I know she felt like she was getting shortchanged, but I felt like she didn't do what she said she needed to do. Now, unlike uh, Terry Farrell, who wanted to leave the show, uh, DS9 at the end of the sixth season, where I kind of have, you know, I kind of have negative feelings about her departure. I don't really think that way about Crosby. If anything, I feel more like, you know, it was a missed opportunity because I really, you know, I've, I've, Farrell was there for six years. They did about everything I could imagine. I didn't feel like we got shortchanged with that, with her performance in that character, you know? Mm-hmm. But here, I, you know, it's disappointment in that I didn't get to see some great Yar episodes. I never saw a great Yar episode. And I think that there could have been one out there. On the other hand, it also massively lessens the blow in retrospect, of course, because where she's going to return, um, several times and they're going to be uh, really good episodes this, when she does return. You know, in a, um, in a weird <clears> way, <throat> in, a, in a strange way, I kind of think it probably benefited the show a little bit just because you have so many characters and, you know, in this way we get more of um, Worf or Riker or that kind of thing. They, obviously, she leaves, uh, more people are going to get screen time and then we get, you know... Um, an Ensign Rowe later on, you know, for a season, we get more um, O'Brien, those characters, because it, it frees up space. So I think in the long run, it probably was a good thing for the show, and maybe it was a good thing for her personally, maybe, maybe not professionally, but um, who knows? I mean, I like her as a person. I've seen, certainly seen oh, yeah. enough interviews with her and things, and, and, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm glad she was on this show for as long as she was, and, you know, yeah. Um, hindsight it, it, we know what the show was going to become and, and it's hard to imagine it being anything other than what we know so well so i it's hard for me to look back and say you know and say anything but what you just said i, I agree with you is my point that it it had to have been good for the show if the show was really good after you know <laughs> yeah um I mean, yeah, we'll never know because yeah. she left. We'll, we'll have to wait for that other dimensional thing after we die. We can look at the other dimensions and see how she Sure, did. sure. <clears throat> well, Steve, what are your thoughts on, on Crosby's departure? We're going to talk about the actual death in just a moment, but I just wanted to see if there's um, anything else on just the idea of, of mm-hmm. this permanent character leaving in the season one. I mean, that was certainly unprecedented. The original series never never had a permanent yeah. character yeah. take off. I thought it was... Um, <clears throat> Well, I th- yeah, I, I agree with everything that's been said. I don't know how much more I can expand upon that. But I, d- I do think that it also – it w- another thing that was good about it was because it was such an unusual thing and it made it kind of open. I think it, it made that question exist now. You know, we have, oh, you know, a primary can die. It is possible. Obviously, people know the circumstances. It's not like they're just going to kill off anybody. But I think I think that, that, that is a good thing as well. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, otherwise I don't really have much else to say about it that has already been said. Well, at the yeah. time, one of the things. Well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, and then it moves Worf into a more natural. This really kind of opens it up for Michael Dorn, I yeah. think, her leaving because you know, absolutely, he, yeah, he moves into the security position, which is, I don't mean to be mean this sounds sexist, but I mean you know it's more natural position for a Klingon than you know than, mm. than Yar. Yeah. Um, I'm not to say that if she would have continued on doing the yeah, show, that she couldn't have been doing That's not sexist. That's speciesist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, she uh, she was capable of being a badass. We saw it in this season, and um, I think she could have expanded on that if she would have continued. And honestly, we do get to see her be a badass later in later years in her other roles that she does on the show. Don't want to give well, I certainly away. agree that her departure was the best thing that ever happened to Worf. 
Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. I mean, it literally happens in this episode. Picard says, you're acting scaredy to you. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't even take any time. It's not like after all these terrible engineers, when does Picard ever look over, uh, you know, uh, Jordy and say, how many engineers are we going to go through that suck? You're an engineer. No, that doesn't happen. Um, so, so, but one of the problems, though, at the time, what made this so painful and uh, what made us as fans of Star Trek upset, to me, it wasn't so much that she was dead. It's that the way she dies is so utterly meaningless and senseless and pointless and lame. Um, that's what for years booked me about this until for until years. a certain episode until a certain yeah. episode came out and then yeah. it until, made until up like it. yesterday's enterprise uh it that's what really bugged me and i know a lot of other people that totally agreed with that um and you know i understand look okay you know roddenberry's he, he felt very strongly about this that it needed to be just another death and then the difference is this time it's one of our regulars you know, <clears throat> there's something to that, but you know what? Theory only works so far. If it's on paper that 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 is very sound, great. But it doesn't change the fact that I was wholly narratively unsatisfied. Well, yeah. You know, every time, it every left time we see- a hole in me from this. Right. Well, every time we've seen a, a character die, whether it's in one of the movies or the series, you know, they're they're saving the world or saving the crew. You know, yeah, it's it's, 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 it's very heroic death. kind of some kind of meaning. Don't let her die like a freaking red shirt, which is exactly yeah. what happens. Um, so that's what always bothered me about it so much. And again, I don't feel this way at all. Not only has it been a long time, but more appropriately, we got yesterday's Enterprise. We got her return. Um, so do you guys agree with that? Did that bother you? Does it bother you? I, I, I think just, the actual way she dies being so pointless. Did it need to have a point? Did it need to be meaningful? I don't know. You know what? I think it's just. I think the way she died is a symptom of the problems with this episode. To be honest, I, I you know I know we haven't really got to the core of this episode in a way, but it's a funny thing because because a primary character dies, you remember this episode because of that. That's the that's the thing, you know, and yeah. you remember, and and you and you also have some interesting banter between this whatever this creepy thing is and you know some of the characters and this kind of stuff but you know for me and i don't know what everyone feels about this but i get through the whole thing and it's kind of like it sneaks up on you because of all that that all all that stuff kind of glosses over the fact that this kind of just sucks i mean you know i get to the end and it's kind of like mm, so what was that you know when i really start thinking about it so like if the episode had been good and her death had been meaningless it still maybe would have meant something yeah, I think it kind of. I think that would have stuck out more to me as it stands because the whole thing was just so like, who cares about this? I, I don't have much of a feeling on it. To be honest, I think it's like, oh, this is a whole big waste, and and her death in this way in this episode just um, emphasizes the waste. That, yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a very good point. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, this. I think this. It suffers a little bit from original series stuff. You know, obviously, crew runs into a mysterious, powerful being on an unknown planet. It has a very um, original series feel to it. Um, I actually, though I did like the character, the, what is his name? Armis. Mm-hmm. Armis. I did like Armis, and even though it was, I did kind of, I thought they went about creating him in a, it was probably a, the cheap way to do it, and it kind of turned, I like the oil slick, the, the mm-hmm, beast mm-hmm. coming out of the oil slick. I thought it was a, a a creative, cheap way to do it. I'm sure. I mean, you know. But when he's actually special. being a like a 
anthropomorphic figure when he's like you can see his head and his arms and stuff he's so lame looking he's a guy in a black tar suit and i think he's when, it, well, when it's just I, like I, I the ooze, that's kind of interesting but when he's like a guy in a suit i think he's so lame no i, I thought it was a, i thought it was a cool <laughs> obviously i mean you run into money problems with that now the the slick doesn't hold up you know um Graphics wise, you know, the slick moving around on the mm-hmm. on the desert and covering up. But uh, you know, I also thought they had some interesting insights on like, you know, you know, when this guy actually starts to deal with his pain and his suffering, you know, I thought that's you know, they were kinda trying to deal with that and gets into kind of what the episode's about. That's when he became weaker because he didn't want to deal with all this pain and loss and suffering. And, um, you know, that kind of leads into the, the end of the episode where, um, data has this whole line about, you know, he feels selfish because all he's thinking about is himself and her not being around anymore. And, um, I like the, the whole message in there, you know, the inner thought, the inner exploration of yourself. And I think that's, I, th- I think they do that in this episode and, you know, it's a reoccurring theme in Star Trek. It's one of the reasons I like the show. Do I think they did it very well in this episode? No, but I think they had just enough of it to keep an, an essence of, of what a good Star Trek episode yeah, is it's, about. Yeah, it's funny. Data has probably my favorite line in this episode, but in a way it's exactly what, I don't like about the whole episode. So he has the line when he's talking to Armis and he says, I'm, I think I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you have no redeeming qualities. You should be destroyed. Mm-hmm. It's cool that he would say, the data would say that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. That's, that tells you a lot about where, but on the other hand, narratively, what the hell is the whole point of this episode? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's purely just pure evil. Okay. What are you about then? I know there's pure evil out there. That's not a conversation. There's no drama. I'm going to kill somebody just because I can. Done. You know, where's where's the where's the story there? Hmm. There's no there's no uh you know, um there's no reasoning with this person. There's no like actually cycle. She's trying to Troy tries to psychoanalyze him. Um and it it pisses him off, but there's nothing else there. There's nothing. Hmm. It's not real. Yeah. He's just he's literally the evil evil remnants from a good people there's nothing but evil in him mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah i um i think there are some compelling things down here somewhere it's just that what it comes down to is this would be better if it was like a, a metaphysical essay or something you know like a, a discussion between picard and data talk to pure evil you know or something you know <laughs> like, written out that okay then that might be something to read and okay interesting to ponder over but yeah as an episode it's just it's just, it's it's ridiculous well, that's another example, though, of like like Patrick Stewart's incredible acting. He's he has he gives a really good performance standing in front of a tar pit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? he really does. He's very good. You know, I bet he didn't understand or care. He just said the words with enough gusto that uh-huh. like, Man, the guy can act. Um, I know. I'm, I'm sure that it had to be Jonathan Frank's favorite days on the set being pulled into an oil pit. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's something you never forget, right? It, apparently, that that mixture was. Mostly Metamucil and Printer's Ink. Oh, yeah, that sounds fun, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and so then you know, and then of course, um, we we do get just a little bit of uh, you know Troy's interaction with Armas uh, when she's stuck in the shuttlecraft. I like that she mentions Imzadi as a name again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just you know when when 
when the emotions are the highest, she thinks she does remember that she had these romantic feelings for Riker. You know, that, that's a nice little just hint of something. Um, but yeah. Um, so let's let's wrap up then with the uh, the memorial scene. Of course, you, Adam, you mentioned that. Um, again, I, I I do think that if the rest of the episode had been better, if her death had served some other purpose, if either of those were true, um, then that memorial scene would have had a little more meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, as it is, it it feels like it feels like it's tacked on, you know, like, wait, it was, this was skin of evil. Was I just watching the, this is the <laughs> one with the tar pit, right? You know, that's what it feels like. Um, and, and then she spends so much time talking about each person. Um, I couldn't help but think like the people, these people like ever so often just change it up. You know, it's like, you know what? I don't like so-and-so <laughs> as much anymore. So I'm going to drop him off, but I'm going to add in a new little part for this other <laughs> yeah, well, like, maybe they really update it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it made me think of O'Brien. Remember, he used to write these in D- Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If, I, if I don't come back, kind of, yeah. kind of messages, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, but that I was during like, a war. I don't know. I guess right. you know. Obviously, they're in peacetime. Do you really have one of those ready to go? Got to update it every week, kind of like your Facebook you're the security chief. Worf's probably would have been pretty <clears throat> simple and sweet, though. <laughs> yeah. um, I like that Data has that extra moment at the end. Um, yeah. In in a way, of course, it reminds me of that moment in Measure of a Man when he, you know, at the very end of that that memorial service, everybody leaves except Data. Uh, Picard comes over there and they have a, a quick little line about, you know, like what Adam, what you mentioned, what, what Data says. You know, I find myself thinking about what her loss, what her, you know, loss is going to mean to me. Yeah. Um, did I miss the point? But I, I like that. <clears throat> It's showing the connection that Data specifically had to her, mm-hmm. not just something more general, right? Um, and that they uh, have a chance, of course, to um, re- to emphasize that with the scene um, in Measure of a Man when when um, he has that little holo- that same holographic recording. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, nothing to do with the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, really. Mm-hmm. This was not a Data episode, right? Um, so. Uh, doesn't have much meaning. Hmm. Well, yeah. we went over on this. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a stretch. You could say the episode is about loss in a weird way, if you want to stretch it. Mm-hmm. Steve, <laughs> do you have anything for what it's about then? No, I mean, yeah, I, I would just be kind of coming up with something, but not, but and not, that's not why, really. That's why Yar's loss here. Is painful because yeah. it's meaningless because the episode has no meaning. Yeah, you know, he's just pure evil with no redeeming qualities. Mm-hmm. This episode has no redeeming qualities. <laughs> um, but uh, yesterday's Enterprise is going to make me feel a heck of a lot better about Yar's departure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So, without further ado. Final six degrees for the day. Six degrees for Skin of Evil. What is our score? Four one. I believe. So. I think so. All right. Oh golly. Adam. Yes. Mark McChesney plays the guy in the tar suit, better known <laughs> as the Skin of Evil himself, Armus. In Next Gen's third season, he played the Sheliac director that insists 
Human colonists be removed from Tau Sigma 5 in the episode, The Ensigns of Command. Which member of the Enterprise's crew must convince the colonists to evacuate? That'd be Crusher? No, sir. Steve? Uh, if I'm remembering the right one, is it Data? You are correct. It was Data. And finally, Steve, Denise Crosby's Tasha Yar meets her untimely death in this episode. Crosby would again play Yar in two more episodes in later seasons. The first was Yesterday's Enterprise. What was the last? Uh, all Good Things. You are correct. It was All Good Things. Um... Uh, do we even want to say what that score was? That was a that was a shutout, dude. <laughs> well, not I shutout, a, but it was a, a bit of a blowout. I got a point. You got a point. You did get a point. Uh, we went over on this episode. I know last time I promised we would talk about our thoughts about Abrams directing Star Wars. Let's do that next time since our next episode we're only going to discuss three, three episodes. <clears throat> and we're going to close out uh, Next Gen's first season. That reminds me, that is what they're going to do. Uh, my guess last time was uh, the Fathom event for the next-gen Season 3 Blu-ray launch is the Fathom event. The theatrical screening is going to be the best of both worlds, one and two. Hmm. So it's, it's a little odd. Um, it's cool. Yeah. To, I mean, I think it's really cool that they're putting out the separate disc with them cut together. I'm definitely going to pick that up. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool. It just seems like an odd choice for the Fathom event, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, so... Follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can send us an email. That's Trek Companion at gmail.com. And uh, we look forward to finishing out season one and in two weeks. And we look forward to starting season two a couple weeks after that. So thanks so much for listening. Thanks. I know this went a little long, but it was worth talking about Yar there. So uh, we will catch you guys in a couple weeks. Good night.